On this episode of the Break It Down for Brackens podcast, we are talking with Travis Mulison and Jenny Brackens, recapping another segment of JFK 50 training. The topics will include Seneca Creek 50K recap, what recovery week is, race cancellations, and hiring a coach. Travis, Jenny, welcome back to the Break It Down for Brackens podcast. Thank you. Take it away. Thank you. Thank you. So it's been a couple of weeks since we've recorded and a lot has gone down. We had our first race of the year, our first 50K that, you know, we started training for in December. And when we started training, it wasn't entirely clear, I think, to the folks around us what we were doing and what our intentions were that, yes, we were looking forward to the JFK 50 in December, but we also had a number of races that were leading up to it. And as we've discussed on previous episodes of the podcast, we have two primary races that we're working toward, and that is JFK 50 in November and Highland Sky 40 in June of this year. And so the um, two, uh, last weekend, we ran the Seneca Creek 50K, Trail 50K, uh, Travis, what were your thoughts about that first? My thoughts was all the, the amount of volunteers we had on course and how polite everybody was. Mm-hmm. Great aid stations. What makes uh, a great aid station for you? Food. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Gummy bears. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But it, it was a, it's, they were spaced up pretty much perfect as soon as you needed to re- refuel your, your bottles. It seemed like you was at an aid station. Yeah, and so to paint the picture, the Seneca Creek 50K is um, in Maryland, and it is uh, entirely trail. And the to paint the picture of the day, this race can be great if the weather leading up to it is good, or it can be pretty horrendous. And we have a number of friends who ran it last year who had a pretty tough time um, in, in the race because it had rained for weeks uh, leading up until the race and then it rained the actual race day so they dealt with some pretty extensive uh, flooding muddy uh, a lot of mud there's there are many many creek crossings in the course but for our race um, to open up the day beautiful weather uh, temperature was in the high 30s to start out we start fairly early in the morning eight o'clock in the morning yes and it's had rained a little bit during the week we were concerned a little bit about some muddy conditions and we of course had run the course the week before and absolutely loved it um and on actual race day there was a little bit of mud but it was about as ideal as you can get on this course would you say i would say that the course is in perfect running condition yeah it, it wasn't an easy course no it, it was a gentle course <laughs> not a lot of rocks it, it was well marked um, well, you got lost once. We, I did. <laughs> we, we actually remarked um, because we have taken two weeks away from the Appalachian Trail type, type courses uh, where we're used to a lot of mud and rocks. And Seneca Creek was a little bit different. Mud, rocks, roots, just, dip, just technical trail. Seneca Creek was different. Yeah, it had some roots, but just as you said, it was gently rolling. It felt really good to run it. Um, felt, felt it was challenging. Oh, very challenging. It was a hilly course. Just wasn't all the rocks that we're used to and falling around. <laughs> yeah, so so we both went into this race deciding that we were going to run our own races. We decided not to pace together, so we, we lined up on the starting line. 
um, ready to kind of take off and do what we thought was best for um, for ourselves, given the training that we had. So. Um, to start off, I, I started off too fast, and uh, in the last episode, Kevin had given me some advice to stay in the front of the pack and kind of ride that out because a lot of the course is a single is a single track course. Um, I did that and ended up. Uh, what happens in these races on trail is that you end up having kind of clusters of packs that stay together. You have the initial pack that goes out, and there's the front runners, and they're all together. And then you'll have these clusters of anywhere from uh, eight to ten, or even down to two to three runners that kind of hang together for uh, any. Okay. <laughs> yeah, some some hang the whole time. Um, I found myself in a pack initially of about ten folks. I was leading that pack out. And um, you can hear people just having conversations. People settle in. They know that it's going to be a long day, and they're going to be with each other for at least six to eight hours out on course. Um, and so we were a couple of miles into the course. I was feeling great. And by the way, this course was marked very well. We had some concerns about it in the week before because we had a hard time finding the actual blaze marks on course. Race directors for this course used blue tape throughout the course and made it seamless it was so easy to follow the course except for in one section where if if you're not if you kind of get into your own head and don't really pay attention it's very easy to get off track and i did and for a very brief moment i led that pack off course for probably about a quarter mile and i had a panicked moment where i was in a section where it was actually on the true course with the blaze marks but it wasn't, it had, it had veered off of what the race directors had marked was their course. And I realized that I didn't see any of that blue tape marking any of the trees. And I had a very panicked moment knowing that I was in the front of this pack and everybody, everybody was following me, everybody. And, and I stopped and I turned around to the runner behind me and I said, where was the last, when was the last time you saw blue tape? And they said, it's a while back. I haven't noticed it for a while. And then about three runners back, a guy yells, he's like, it's okay, I recognize this course. I think we're off course, but we should be, we should get right back up with the course within just right up over this hill. Still panicking um, and, and just kind of running ahead. I could not believe I had done that to other runners. Uh, but sure enough, right up over that hill, we, we found the course again and we were back on track and it was really, really great. Um, so it, that, that was my one little snafu, but I'm not too terribly experienced in 50 K's. This was just my third. So Travis, you want to talk about, you know, kind of what was your experience in the beginning? Cause um, you were in a different pack. Yeah. The, I started off, I mean, I just wanted to pretty much do a training run, put about 85% effort into it. Just so I didn't get too tired, but I ran with some great people. For probably about the first 10 miles and then everybody just kind of spread out and then it would go 20 25 minutes before i would see somebody again really yeah it was a lot of time by yourself on, on trail yeah for all that worrying about being out on trail and not being able to pass people it was uh it, it was surprising that it that it thins out well, i think people lined up where they were supposed to be yeah so there was never a lot of that problem did you meet anybody on trail? No, no. 
I met a couple of people on trail and I forgot that this is an inch long trail runs. Every long trail run that I've done, this has been a unique aspect of it that I absolutely love. So in those little groups of people, you'll have somebody that will kind of come up in the pack and they might just start talking to you about whatever. I met a guy from upstate New York who is training for a 50 miler and it was really cool to hear his perspective of, you know, where he typically runs. He, he runs very close to the Appalachian Trail and, and how difficult and technical the course is there. And then um, we, we just talked generally about running and then he went off along his way and then the next person came up and I talked to them. I It was really funny because um, a lot of the runners, this is, it's only a week ago, but it's when runners really started talking about the COVID-19 virus and concerns about whether races would still be held. And I had two guys in front of me that were saying, we're not talking about coronavirus until we hit, until we hit the river. We're not allowed to talk about it until we hit the river and, or actually the lake. And the lake is in the last couple of miles of, of the race. But they were, they were hilarious. They were telling jokes on trail and they really made it easy for me to keep going. What did you think about the aid station where they was dressed up and serving Corona? Oh, the best thing was, so there were a lot of runners that reached out to the race directors in advance of the race, wondering if they were still going to have it because of the concerns of the coronavirus. And they said, no, we're still going to have it, you know, just, just, just practice kind of safe distancing and, um, and, and keep yourselves clean. Don't, don't do a lot of touching. And uh, the aid stations at this thing, at this race, were amazing. My favorite aid station was in mile 14. So mile 15 is the halfway point, and it's the the major aid, the aid station of the race. Mile 14, we came upon this aid station where all of the volunteers were dressed in hazmat suits, and they were handing out shots of, of Corona beer. And it was the best thing. It was so funny. A lot of us were already get starting to get a little bit tired, and they just had the best attitudes. Let me tell you, this race was a $35 ultramarathon. Not only did the race directors kill it with making it affordable, they killed it with volunteers. So many people were out there assisting, and all of them were happy to be there. And the aid stations were fully stocked with all the food that you could want. I ate Girl Scout cookies. I had, and later on in the race, when I was when I was really tired in the later miles, I got some Mountain Dew and anything that you can imagine that you might need out there on course, like pickles, pickle juice, anything that's typical, I think, to most ultra marathons um, was out there. What just surprised me was that the registration fee was so low for everything you got back for this race. They didn't offer um, a, uh, a medal and they didn't offer a t-shirt, but they gave us these really great pint glasses with the race on them that I was so happy with. So the race directors really killed it in that, in that arena. How'd you do as the miles wore on? How'd you do in mile 20 from 20 on? Um, I'd say about mile 25, I started into my run hiking thing. I made it through the first 25 miles pretty decent, yeah. but I was tired. Yeah? What, what were you feeling? What's, what's tired mean to you? Um, were you in pain? No, no pain. My legs was just fatigued. Going, cause the whole course seemed like it was rolling hills, mm -hmm. and just the amount of little hills you had to charge up. But all in all, I mean, I, I was happy with the way my body held up through the whole race. Still have a little ways to go. It, it was a good test for us to see how we're doing so far. Yeah. 
I didn't fare so well um, because I went out really fast um, and I felt good going fast. I felt comfortable going fast. At the mile 15 aid station, I took a break and I took a very long break actually. Um, and in retrospect, I think it was good because I needed the fuel, but I watched everybody passing me when I was, when I was standing there at that aid station. And then when I got back on course, I still felt okay. And mile 20, 22, I started feeling some pain. And I've been trying to work through something that I've experienced on and off for the last year or so, and that is this feeling that my hip sockets are on fire. It feels like I have pain directly in the hip sockets, almost as if I don't have a good lube or something in there. And, and in high miles, it only strikes me in high miles, and when it does strike me, it's pretty painful. It, painful enough that it, it hurts to walk, it hurts to run, really the only thing you do is trot it does feel a little bit better when you're going uphill. So as we had a little bit of the hills, I'd be like, oh, this feels better. So I, I mentioned that on a Facebook post and I had a friend who reached out and said, hey, talk to me about this. And, and he feels strongly that it's probably a, a high, high uh, hip, high hamstring tendonitis. And so I've got an appointment with uh, Structured Elements to take a look at that at the end of the month and kind of get me squared. But it didn't prevent me from finishing. Um, I was still able to finish. I just went into a pain cave that I otherwise wouldn't have needed to go into. What was frustrating for me is that it hurt from mile 20, 22 uh, on and off until I finished at mile 32 and a half and nothing else hurt. My lungs didn't hurt, nothing else hurt in my body. Um, but we got it done. We felt good the next day. We felt like we were okay. We didn't feel broken the next day, or at least I didn't. Uh, we had a pretty good hike the next day. Yeah, we had a nice hike up a, up a, a nice big hill the next day, and as we should have, as we had on our schedule, and so it was good. Um, to go back for a second. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Let's go back for a second. The uh, structural elements, it's, uh, what's that? What are you going to have done there? What's your plan, do you know? So I've not been there before, and maybe Kevin, you might be able to open this up a little bit regarding what they do. Well, it's um, it's where I go for all of my uh, massage therapy if I need it. Um, but they also have like a training facility there, or uh, they have some sort of process called the SE process or something like that for structural elements. But that's a um, <clears throat> I guess talk about for a second how you supplement your training and mobility with um, that kind of therapy. Sure. So. A lot of my training, the mobility that I'm able to get in is, is primarily through yoga. Um, partly because I have a hard time disciplining myself to do full mobility. Like Kevin, you're very good about doing that. You'll go to the gym and you'll spend time on the foam roller and things like that. I don't always do that as I should. So um, that's probably why I'm, I'm, I'm working through the issue that I am and I want to prevent that. So I have made a goal to get ahead of that and get better with this and focus on it because if I don't, I'm not going to be able to do more mileage. So uh, at the end of the month, I'm meeting with, with, with structural elements to take a, to assess the uh, high hamstring, potentially, what, whatever it might be, if that's what they diagnose or if there's something else. Um, 
but also I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I fell on trail when we were doing the Seneca Creek. I fell straight into my shoulder. It's my shoulder's still pretty bad. And so I, I want to rule out any tears or anything like that, but I'm also going to work with them on some of the mobility exercises to work through that. And thankfully that doesn't hurt me when I'm running. Travis, do you do any sort of massage therapy? No, I don't. You don't? But you have that little good fight yes, yeah, gun. I, yeah, I do have one. There's, I used to go, before JFK, I went to a place on Rockcliffe Drive when I had a calf injury, and I used to get massage therapy done on my calf all the time. Yeah. And I had um, deep, I forget, what's it called when they stick the long? Dry needling. A dry needling. Yeah, dry, yeah. I had dry needling done to my calf at um, Rankin's Therapy. Oh, yeah, it's kind of freaky. Yeah. I've had that, that once before. Have I mean, you had it? Uh, I have. I had it done in my hip after I injured my back, um, and it worked. It was really eerie, and it worked. <laughs> I, I thought the procedure was pretty painful. I mean, and he told me that I had several spots on my calf that they worked on. He's like, later, later this evening, just sat on the couch because you're not going to be able to walk too well. Mm -hmm. And they was correct. Yeah, it <laughs> But the hurts. next day, it's like I started getting relief, and it, it just gradually got better. I know, I know that Jenny and I have used um, massage therapy uh, for years, and mm -hmm. frankly, I use it to purchase my fitness. So I don't train that hard or that much, mm -hmm. but through healthy movement and uh, the right kind of working out the knots the right way, I'm able to um, run pain-free for the most part. The uh, And then if I could just edify structural elements for a second, I was up there and I actually pulled my back about six or seven years ago. And it's been a pain that I've carried with me. And like the doctor said, oh, you've got like a bulging disc and you just got to strengthen your abs and strength, do these exercises and whatnot. And, you know, I thought it was something I had to live with for, for years, for the rest of my life. It wasn't something that was going to go away and that I had to strengthen my muscles to um, avoid the pain. And then every once in a while, this David who works on, up on me at Structural Elements, he... Um, he does this like wobbling move where he kind of massages your back a little bit, but it kind of jostles your body a little bit. And I remember laying there in pain going, oh, what? This hurts so bad. Mm -hmm. All right, on my fourth visit, I'm like, fine, I'm going to say something to this. I'm like, hey, man, bro, bro, just so you know, it hurts really bad when you do that right here and then right here, right above it. And he's like, oh, let me see. Like you know, around your sacrum? I don't know what it's called back there. It's higher than my sacrum. But he, so he pokes his, his evil fingers into my back. And then, by the way, this is not a massage like, oh, I'm going to go get a massage. Like, you get the beat down mm -hmm. in these massages. So he sticks his fingers in there. He's like, oh, yeah, I feel it right there, right there. And the one above it, I, yeah, but maybe it's like a bulging disc. He's like, oh, yeah, sure. And 45 seconds later, this dude healed me. And I have not had that back pain since. Now, I carried it for six years thinking, okay, I got to just got to live right, walk right, have the right posture. And this dude, um, and we didn't have time to fix the one above it. So my next visit, we're going to fix the one above it. But I guess what it, it ended up being, instead of like a disc that's bulging, like maybe the disc slid out of position, it maybe was more, as to how I kind of understand it now, a muscle was spasmed for six freaking years. And this dude went in there and loosened it up just with his mean fingers. And now I'm pain-free additionally, which is really mega. So massage therapy or whatever the technical terms are for that, are really good. And Structural Elements, they're, they have like three locations, like Hagerstown, Frederick, and I think Leesburg, but they're always able to get me in when I need to get in, and the kind of clients that they want are the kind that Travis and Jenny are for sure, and 
even though I'm not going after the harder, bigger races, they, they still work on me because I pay for it. I don't think it matters what races you're going after. And so Kevin has for years, just for anybody who doesn't know, we've, we've referred to something called mofobility because Kevin would go into the gym when we used to do CrossFit and he used to just stop. If he wasn't feeling good in a workout, he would stop and do mobility. So he's always been good about that. I admittedly am not good about it. I'm not good about it until something happens and it's kind of a wake up call. So he can give me advice all day long to do things. I kind of have to come to it on my own terms because I'm stubborn like that. And I know it's a shortcoming, but Kevin talks to me about uh, structural elements and David and what he did for him. And I start thinking about it and the gears start turning. And then I go to do Seneca Creek 50K and I haven't really felt the hip issue in a while and then it comes on at mile 22 and I go okay I can't ignore this anymore I can't take it for granted anymore it's time to get serious so every week that we're training we're learning something new this week or these last two weeks what I learned new is number one I gotta start taking this stuff seriously I gotta start working on mobility and work on these issues because if I know that the rest of my body does not hurt running 32 and a half miles except for that issue well, crap, imagine if I work on that issue, how great I'm gonna feel and imagine how much farther I'm gonna be able to go. That's the first thing. So not taking that for granted and really going, all right, let's not half-ass this anymore and do and, and rely on yoga. Really look at ways that I can, can rehab myself and make sure that I'm in the, the best shape. The second part of that, which we wanted to talk about today, was hiring a coach. We've talked about this in previous episodes. When am I going to get serious? When am I going to figure out and get myself on an actual, actual schedule? And so this week, I hired a coach. It's the same coach that Travis had has, David Walsh, a, a plant power running. Yes. And I couldn't be more excited. Uh, we start our first uh, training week this, this next week. And what's great about him is he and I talked. He got a lot of my history. And then he asked me to give him my race schedule uh, for the year. And I did that and I expanded upon it. And I said, hey, you may want to know what my usual schedule is during the week. And writing it out, I got tired looking at it. And I was like, whoa. When you put things out on paper and you see how disjointed you are in your training. One day I'm running with this person and we're running with th this pace. Another day I might just pick up and do this particular class and nothing is organized and there's no direction you're going in that's going to actually feed and enhance your training. You're just kind of playing Russian roulette saying, well, maybe I won't overtrain with this or maybe I won't get hurt with this. You, it really, it really highlights for you. Oh my gosh, I need a plan. So I wrote that down, was so excited to get it to him and I'm excited to follow his plan. So now it's time to get serious with taking care of my body. I can't take it for granted. You can take it for granted in a half marathon. You cannot yeah. take it for granted in a marathon or more. Um, coaching, really excited about that. And also as he, he coached, uh, uh, Travis and he does this after we have a race, he plans a recovery week. Travis talk about two recovery weeks. week, two well, weeks. Yeah, they normally last about two weeks. It's, it's, I think it's harder than the taper weeks to stay in, on his plan because it's just a lot of walking, stretching and more walking, maybe um, a half hour run here and there, but it's mostly walking and just doing stuff that you can do with anything without running. It lets you go hiking, hiking, walking all you want, but anything but running. Kevin, what do you think about that? Have you been through cycles like that with your training? I, I, um, yeah, I mean, I, 
did Miami like two and a half weeks ago, and I've only run three times since. And I feel like a million dollars. I feel very powerful. Recently, my last couple of runs have been very slow runs, just kind of hanging back, you know, kind of group runs with bros and bras. And I can feel a power in me that only comes from rest, the power of strength and to realize that I can turn it up 700% from that slow jog that I know I could, if I was pacing myself in a race, that rest allows me the ability to attack outside my normal running pace. If I'm attacking up a hill, attacking a hill, attacking to make the pass. I mean, but I'm, I'm a racer. I'm not just out here to accomplish certain distances. I like to actually beat people and take souls in the last mile and a half or so in any race of any distance. Like when we look at a half marathon, you can run up and down all those hills over at Freedoms, but that race doesn't start until you leave Shep or Sharpsburg. Like that's where you start to really hurt people's feelings because it is a race. Uh, but when it comes to rest, I mean, I'll take four to nine days off after any race, even if it was only like a 10 miler, because rest is more important than training for me. As far as I'm concerned, I know how to run. So rest, stretching, the things I'm not good at, that's what I got to focus on. So yeah, rest is really important in my training. I need to work it's on... It's all of my training. Yeah, and, and it's hard for me to trust that. Because I always worry that I, I still have this young mindset, this fresh mindset as a fairly new runner, that if I start to rest, I'm going to lose my training ability. And there's always that fear that also, if you're used to moving a lot, when you stop moving, you become restless. You want, all you want to do is run when you can't run. Um, well, that's part of that endorphin addiction. If you have an addiction to the painkillers, endorphins, which are your, you know, your body's natural ability to handle pain and stress, um, it's like 30 times more potent than synthetic drugs. So your body just spits it out in these little doses in your, in your neurons and it just pulse, 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 pulse. And you get used to a certain thing, similar to what people call the runner's high. But if you're used to it's why you feel so good after a workout. You might feel quite crap. Okay, well, I'm gonna go work out. After the workout, you feel like a champion. And then you get to feel that way. If you can find the balance between the endorphin fix Hashtag endorphin fist, Odyssey Adventure Racing. That's the name of a race. Anyways, the uh, if you if you can get used to your endorphin fix and rest and mobility and find that balance, and I, I bet your coach is gonna start to really rein. Our coach would rein anybody in who has uh, an offset schedule without the right amount of rest. I imagine. But the fact that he's making you guys walk, I feel like that's really new in the last three months. The walking part. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm hoping that he will help me find that balance because that's um, I use running in that endorphin fix to deal with all the stress in my life. I love it because it makes it go away. If I'm stressed out with work, I go for a run, I'm okay. It helps me kind of set my day on, on the right footing. Um, so it's, it's, it, it's definitely necessary to find that balance. And I recognize that if I don't find the balance, there's a likelihood that I won't be able to finish some of the races that I want to finish. Do you want to talk about sleep when it comes to rest? Yeah. I guarantee myself almost nine hours of sleep every night. Do you, but I know that sometimes, and this is a good topic, sometimes you struggle with recuperative sleep. I'll know that sometimes you wake up with work stress. How do you combat, combat that? Work stress will wake me up and if I'm in that cycle of my REM cycle, if I'm up, I might as well get up or um, 
I actually can unplug my brain by playing a dumb video game usually and fall back asleep. Or if it's really not going to work, I can always go downstairs and turn the TV on and watch some boring sci-fi on the CW channel or something stupid like that. And that'll put me to sleep. But when it comes to... If I need quality rest, I won't wake up from stress. That's guaranteed. And if I'm stressed out at work, I'm also probably not training very hard then anyways, so my lack of sleep and rest is not affecting my physiological recovery. So it's it probably, it's probably balanced out that way, because if I'm working hard, I'm not training. If I'm training hard, that means I'm not working much, which is good, because they're both balanced. So I don't, if I have a heavy workload, like right now, I have a very heavy workload. I am not training at all, but I'm also not committing to very long distance races. I'm committing to up to six miles, and that's why I can get away with stressed out rest. But that's just, I think when your body's done sleeping, if you've been eating healthy, if you're hydrated, you wake up when you wake up and you can get going. Yeah, and I think your point is with, with sleep and just even talking about it, that it's a huge part of recovery that I think that a lot of people figure they can get away with not doing enough of. Because a lot of us have stress in our lives that interrupt our sleep patterns and we may not be able to get the full recuperative sleep. So everything feeds into itself, into the next, your nutrition, your hydration, your sleep, your recovery, your mobility, all of those things allow you to perform at your peak and you don't really realize you're not performing at your peak until kind of everything falls apart. Well, I'm no scientist, right? But get this, I went to bed weighing 202.5 pounds and I, I have the data in my Garmin Connect and then I woke up. 197.2 nine hours later so that tells me i had a very efficient sleep that night because my body was in hardcore it was it was burning so many calories repairing myself over and overnight and i slept through the night that that's that's how i know i'm getting good quality sleep if i wake up and my body has burned so many calories it literally burned pounds off of me and i wasn't even dehydrated like i was very well hydrated at the time and imagine if we have all these things firing on all cylinders, including the things that aren't so sexy, like the running, and we're getting all of our rest and we're getting all of our hydration, all of our nutrition. Imagine what we can do as runners. So we're not young people and it's, it's exciting. I, when I hired David as my coach, I was very clear and open and very honest with him about where I am and where I've been in the past. I talked about overtraining in the past. I talked about injuries because I wasn't taking care of myself. And I talked to him about some of the gains I've had recently because I've, I've changed my nutrition. Um, it's, it's really exciting to see that maybe if I can dial these things in, imagine what I can do. He asked me what my goals were for, for these two races coming up. And I said, well, I wanna be able to finish them, number one. Okay, yeah, of course. But I also said, I wanna be able to see what I can do, what's the best that I can do knowing that everything is dialed in? Travis, what about your sleep and your rest? Like, um, how does that look? I probably sleep five hours a night, roughly. Wow. No naps during the day? Not usually. When I get home from work, I might lay down for like a half hour, then get up and go run. What time does your work day start? What time do you get up to get to work? Like quarter after four. So you go into bed at like 11? Yeah. Have you tried going to bed earlier? Yeah, I just usually lay in bed and my mind don't stop. I okay. just keep thinking and thinking. But What about before you got involved with Jenny training? 
how uh what was your rest like then were you taking like full days of rest after long runs or was your coaching different at the time i would probably do a small walk after a long run but nothing strenuous pretty much kind of like we're doing now instead of doing a hard run one day then following it up with another hard run the next day we go hiking or walking or something do you feel an improvement after two or three days of rest or do you not ever take two or three days of rest i don't i haven't had two or three days of rest in a while a while like what since probably since jfk okay i think my last long time i had for rest was when i was tapering for jfk What's not helped him is that he's had these rest days built into his schedule. So David, his coach, has built, I'm going to call you out for a second, but I'm calling myself out. Mm -hmm. David has built in rest periods uh, within his training, but because my training hasn't been dialed in and I have not had a coach and I kind of tag along for some of his workouts, it often results in him working out on days where David recommended that he not. And so now that we're both using David, and David, by the way, is programming for both of us individually, but is understanding that we are working out a couple of days together per week, we can be more religious. In fact, I intend to be religious about staying on our schedule and really trusting that process because what do I have to lose? It, it, I, it, I have nothing, zero to lose in this process by trusting him and then seeing, oh, these are some of the gains that I can see from it. I haven't followed a plan that strictly yet where I can really know what I can do with my abilities with after having a good amount of rest. Have you? No. I know where I have trouble with is like the half hour runs. Uh, I, I tend to go overboard with that and I know that don't make my coach happy but what what I'm trying to get better at that like what schedule, does overboard mean um like he's got me scheduled for a half hour run I'll still go out and run 10 miles but he, he's, he's that's start, not following the instructions very well yeah I know. No. he's starting to reel me in a little bit some of that's but well, yeah. because that because how does he know you ran 10 miles it goes to, he's got access to my Strava, my Garmin Connect, and it goes to, directly to him. So he can see when you're running and how far yes. you're running. Can he see your heart rate? And yes. yes. He can see your cadence? Yeah, yes. he's got access he to all my, all your as data. soon as I hit save on my watch, it goes to him just like it does Strava and Garmin Connect. And that right there is what will keep me accountable because knowing that he's gonna see it and knowing that I might disappoint him if I'm going off of his schedule really will keep me on track. Does he know to be more disciplining with you? I don't, I, I don't know yet because he's not programmed the first week, but I was very clear with him that I told him, I said, I will not quit. I will not stop unless my body disintegrates. Um, you know, the week of the race, the week of the 50K, Monday, I was out for our training run with, with Kentucky Pam. My foot stepped the wrong way in a pothole and I completely rolled my ankle. I legitimately sprained my ankle. It's probably a grade one sprain, but I knew it was bad because versus a strain because I took my sock off when I got home and both sides of my ankle were bruised. And I was like, and it, and it swelled up like a golf ball and Kevin saw the meltdown when I was, you know, freaking out. I was like, no, not this week. And luckily it, it was high enough that it resolved itself. So it wasn't, it didn't hurt me when I was running, 
But it's kind of an example. I will run through anything. That's why I hurt my back. So I, I made sure I told him that so that he's aware that, that I won't stop even if it seriously hurts me. And so I am putting all of my trust in him and his programming to, to steer me in the right direction. That's why I feel kind of comfortable at trusting him when he's giving us rest days, even though it's going to hurt. And I might question it and say, well, oh, you don't know how, what kind of runner I am. No, I'm going to trust him because again, I have nothing to lose in that process. And because Travis and I are training together, we're both along for this ride. Yes. So my 70 miles plus miles per week is going to most more than likely go down. Okay, great. It's as long as I'm following a plan, I'm okay. Okay, okay. What well, uh, I was adjusting levels, <laughs> focusing on the sound, and you stopped talking. That's okay. Um, so I, I don't know how a coach can. Where does he live? Is he, is he local? Frederick. Oh, so he's really close. Yes. Okay, I just I wonder how he can. Do you guys rate how you feel after a run? Does he get any feedback from you? Like, hey, that was really ninety percent of my whole life got put out in that trail, or. That was really kind of easy. And are you sure it's supposed to be this easy? How do you give him feedback? There's a place after our workouts, a comment section, and <clears throat> you can tell him what you feel and how you felt it, and he replies back to you. Or if you want to call him on the phone, I mean, okay. he'll be glad to talk to you on the phone. If you want to schedule a, a video call with him, or if you want to go to, I mean, he's pretty much open to anything you need. Cool. So, um, so that that's that that'll be using a coach. I just I just wonder how de how detailed will you be with that report per run, Jenny? I think I can be pretty detailed because I'm used to going into Strava and kind of documenting what I did. The the app that he uses is called Final Surge, by the way, and so he that's where he loads all of your workouts in. Even though I'm I'm new to this, and I was playing around in there a little bit, and it can you can you can put in your perceived effort. Um, and put in any notes, just like Travis said about how you're feeling. I think I'll want to be pretty honest with that because I'll want him, because he might adjust my, my training for that. So I'm paying him, right? I want to get the most out of this, this coaching. So it's, it, it makes sense for me to provide him with as much feedback as possible. He's, I've never used this section of it, but there's also a section where you can put down what you've ate throughout the day, how much you drank. I mean, he'll look at all that if, if you want to take the time to do it. Yeah, I, I, I like that oversight. Yeah, I want to get serious and dial it in. If I have oversight, I'll follow it. Yeah, if I don't I, have a plan, I'll go haywire and just run all the miles. If I was ever to hire a coach, I would want that level of insight. I would definitely uh, report everything that I ate um, because that's the kind of coach that really, really dials you in for, for performance. They can find the holes and get them patched. At one, at one point, I was trying to hire a coach, but they didn't want to work with me. But I literally wanted even I even wanted gait assessment. I was like, let's go out and do every ten days, let's do gait assessment drills. Yeah. I didn't care what it costs, but I was yeah. like, if I'm gonna run pain free and run for performance, here's what I wanna do. But I think the intensity that I wanted to come at it, coaches didn't necessarily want to deal with me being high maintenance. Well, I don't get the impression of that with David and he was so welcoming and friendly when, when I asked him if he might have time to coach me. Kevin, you know you've been on me for God. How long to get a coach? When are you going to get serious about this? When are you actually going to see what you can do? And I'm, I'm excited. I was harsh. I told her no workout counts until she's working with a pro. Yeah. And that's, that's just because of the level that Jenny is performing right now. Every 
workout is wasted unless you're being guided by somebody who can professionally take you to the level you don't realize you're going to be at. And now more so it's not just what happened in the 50k where I had some of that pain and I was like ah, I want to do this better I want to I want to feel good it's also that I've seen a lot of gains in my own personal performance where mm -hmm. I'm getting faster and I want to know oh how can I how can I ensure that I don't peak out too early or that I don't I don't burn myself out and Travis is seeing the same gains like we're going out and when Travis and I first started running together we were running what what were we running in on on um, on pavement Probably in the tens, somewhere around there. And yeah. now we were running in the high eights the other day, and we're feeling yeah. we're feeling very. We're both our performance is in, improving, and we want it to be measurable and not just a fluke. Oh, I, yeah. I'm I'm performing because you know we just happened to run our faces off, but we felt like crap that day, for example. So really exciting. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about hiring a coach because I feel like now we're kind of dialing it in. So hiring a coach looking at recovery week, respecting the coaching plan, which I promise to do moving forward. And I look forward to talking about how easy or hard that is, sleep and looking at mobility and taking care of your body and all of those things. Um, well, Travis, you've seen results. There's no chance that your clothes are fitting normally. You've lost some weight. Yeah, I've lost a good bit of weight. Numbers? Personally. I haven't weighed myself. Approximately? I would hope to be in the two forties right now. We have a scale upstairs. Yeah, where did you where did you start? Uh, what were you at JFK? Two seventy. I'm gonna go get the scale. Okay, so <laughs> so Travis started at two seventy at JFK and he started cleaning up his diet and we started dialing in the running. So of course this is this is this has kind of been without a whole lot of direction so far. So we're gonna continue to do this. Kevin's going to get the scale. And Travis mentioned to me yesterday, do you want to say what you said? Do you want to get on the mic? Huh? You said that you're... you're... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Travis is just saying that he's noticing that his clothes are fitting better and that he's... Um, so he's seeing some gains. And then he's seeing that translate over into his running. Now, your weight doesn't necessarily, I found in experience, doesn't necessarily translate to your running speed or performance. But he's feeling better in what he's doing. So it's been good for him. Do you want to talk any more thing about what you've been doing while he's getting that scale? You can you can move over here to the mic. You can move over here to my mic. Oh. <laughs> I've just been eating a lot better than what I did in the past. No pizzas, less chips, because I love pizza. Yeah, all the stuff that that we know is not good for us. Yes. All right, we have a we have a Garmin Connect scale. It better not connect to me. So it connects, no, he's got, it connect, Travis, take your shoes off. So it connects in, <laughs> this is fun. And I don't weigh myself very often. Look, as a woman, I sometimes find that the number gets in my head, so I don't do it too terribly often. But I do weigh myself and I do, I do feel, I know when I feel better. He's 255.9, so, so he's lost 15 pounds since JFK, since November. That's really good. I know. Congratulations. Good job. We're high-fiving. There's no chance your pants fit correctly anymore. No, I'm going to wear a belt now. Tighten the belt down. Especially my work clothes. Yep. Yeah. The shirts fit differently. Yes. Girls are looking at you differently. <laughs> yeah, Travis. No, no. You start. Fit, you keep, up for all yeah, keep, <laughs> keep, keep, pull, keep growing that beard, bro. Keep growing that beard. I think that... Um, if you were to start the movie montage of our training, this is kind of where 
it would start, where you would start to see us kind of dialing everything in, getting really serious, having really great training runs, you know, performing our best. So, so the race was good. It was a good first test for us, but what it did the most was highlight what we need to work on moving forward. And for me, that's getting that coaching training plan. That's working on the mobility. Travis, what did you take away from that race that you think you need to continue to work on? Um, just my whole cart, the volume of running that I can do without stopping before I have to hike. So this is it, what we were talking did, about two weeks ago too. I did mess around with some nutrition on course. I actually ate a grilled cheese sandwich on course and it was great. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I was feeling kind of like I do on our training runs. Yeah. Then at mile 15 they had that aid station and they ate a grilled cheese sandwich and then when I started again I, I started walking a little bit and then I was like well my stomach seems alright let me try to run. And then it felt like I was running with good legs again. It's crazy how that happens. But remember a couple weeks ago when you, you had the same concern and you felt like your feeling was off and you talked with your coach, your coach gave you some suggestions. You did try some of those suggestions and they didn't work. Yeah. Uh, PB and J did not work. Peanut butter and jelly did not work. Why not? I, I ate a sandwich before a training run and about four or five minutes into the run, my, I just felt so bloated. My stomach just... Different kind of bread than the grilled cheese? Um. I don't know what they used at the race, but I used the 647 bread. What's low, 647 it's bread? It's the low-carb bread. Right, so there's no chance they were using low-carb right, right. bread at the race. No, I wouldn't think so. I have success with some breads and other not-successful breads because I get a lot of bloating from cheap white bread for sure. But while we're on this podcast, I was just eating some of Charlie's sourdough uh, bread and I know I'm not going to get bloated from that because the ingredients are clearly very high end but I think that the, the better the ingredients the less likely you'll have bloat but it makes sense that I mean people are always like oh when you're doing these distances and these speeds you can't eat because your digestive system is not activated man I don't run that fast neither do mm -hmm. I and I found that I really so on the course the 50k Every time I was kind of struggling and I got to an aid station and I picked up some real food, all of a sudden I was like, yeah, I'm good. I felt like I had my engine again. That's and I'm food. not used to eating and I'm not, and I'm not used to eating real food on course either. Cause I'm used to being in, 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 uh, uh, lighter distances anyway, where you wouldn't have that type of course support food. Right. And, and it all depends. It's all about perspective. It depends on the kind of shape that you're in. Like, um, Years ago, me and Travis were running side-by-side side at that marathon, Freedom Run Marathon. Yes. I definitely packed two sandwiches because the level of training that I had was minimal. So to, for me, it was more of an expedition. I'm going to get through these 26 miles, and I'm going to eat because I'm not even going to be working as hard. Whereas mm. a half marathon, I definitely wouldn't eat, but I would definitely go to some sort of gel or or some sort of biscuit or something, something very light and it burns faster. And, you know, there's all these efficient uh, training. Uh, you guys are using spring, and that's like applesauce, right? Yeah, really. So I, I use spring for most of the 50K, okay. and what I do about every 40, 45 minutes to an hour, I have one packet, and I, I like the one with that has caffeine in it. It has about 90 to 100 calories, and it's like an applesauce consistency, and it's great. I don't feel a ton during, I almost don't feel at all and like a half marathon distance ever. I'm just right. so used to that distance. But um, I was I was religious about taking it in this distance, but I 
I definitely hit a point, and I was also taking salt tabs, which helped a lot, but I hit a point where I could not, my engines just started slowing down, maybe because of my hips, until I got that real food. That was kind of eye-opening for me, because you always think that a lot of these um, race fuels are specifically designed to offer that rapid kick to your system, and, and I take one and I go, okay, where's the rapid kick? <laughs> And it didn't always come in the high miles. And so I was like, let me just get some real food in my system. And once I did, I was like, oh, good to go. Good to go. And and really, it was it was almost like it freshened me up. Yeah, I think the, the real food is, especially in the distances that you guys are going, I think the real food's really important. You know, one of the things that my my friends and I from way back in the day, and I mean, that was like 20 years ago, but one of the successful things we had was with um, boiled potatoes. You know, you boil yeah. them and then you cut them into little cubes and you throw them in a two to 300 calorie baggie. And the baggie just goes in your backpack the same way a goo would. Mm -hmm. And you can take goos and you take your little whatevers and the things that keep you going. But when you have that, when you're pre-bonk and eventually, or you probably know when it's happening, but when it does come around, you fire down some real food and you drink a half a, half a water bottle you know, do a little bit of walking and all of a sudden you can actually rally without actually hitting the bonk, which is, which is great. And I'm, I'm a huge proponent of real food, easily digestible real food. And like the springs and the, the goos that were back in the day and the power blocks and stuff like that, those are great as a supplement, as a, a boost you through, especially in the longer run on distances. But there's also a side effect at that Let's say you do a race and you've had eight goos, like a long race. And then sure, you have a meal afterwards, you drink plenty of water, but there's a residual, that stuff has a residual effect on you well after the race. Have you guys experienced any sort of that at all mm -hmm. since your long trainings or races? I know after JFK, I took 12 of them. I had one hour JFK, and for a couple of days, my stomach, I didn't feel like eating nothing. My stomach was just nauseated. I mean, I, I never related that to maybe I had too many springs, but I had 12 of them that day on JFK. It's about the closest thing that you can get to real food, but it's still not the same thing, in my opinion, in my experience, just for what works with my body. And then I observed after the 50K that I felt like I just pumped my body full of fuel the whole time to feel my best. And it left me the next day feeling like a bloated mess. Mm -hmm. I felt like, first of all, when you when I finished running, I was running behind this girl who's awesome. She kind of carried me through the last couple miles. We just kind of got strong in the end together. Did you beat her? N no. Okay. I, did, I was not going to beat her because she carried me through, honest to God. There was so you, no so way gave I was going to pass her. <laughs> so you just gave it to yeah. her? But we were both over 40 and we were proud. Does, anyway, she, does she realize you let her go? <laughs> She knew, she knew I let her win. All right, good. Yeah. Still a race. <laughs> Always a race. So we finished the race and she's like, oh my God, let me see your hands. And, and, and I showed her my hands and she goes, look at my hands. And we both had our wedding rings on. We had our silicone band wedding rings are on and our fingers were sausages. <laughs> and that's kind of what happened. So what I decided to do. So to answer your question, have you had the residual effects? Yes. And because of that, I detoxed my body on Monday and Tuesday. So Sunday, I kind of ate normally. Monday and Tuesday, I did a cleanse where I had just a lot of liquid nutrients going in through me, but it, it just kind of let my body process everything. I was focused on potassium to kind of help my kidneys process all that salt because all those salt tabs, you know, taking one per hour. And I know that I took them 
you can even take them one per half hour, but yeah. I took them one per hour. I just felt like just get all the stuff out of me. I remember I uh, I, I remember I, I've tried to race across Florida three times over four years. I failed all three times. Uh, this teams imploded or mechanical failures on the mountain bikes or heat exhaustion was what usually took us out. But same situation, you know, tin goos, a bunch of cliff bars, things that were, you know, jamming up our, our system. And then we would go to bed that night and wake up and watch the finish of the race the next day and then drive back from Florida to the D.C. area, sitting in the car that long after a big race, having juiced up with goos. And back then, like, I mean, this is seriously in 2002, three and four. It's so, like the internet existed, but there was an enormous amount of places you could get the the information you needed to figure out why you were feeling these side effects or whatever. Um, but we figured out we just had to eat right, get bananas, because the bananas and potassium would counter the sodium from the salt. And even though we thought we had enough sodium, due to the uh, we were taking a lot of hammer back then too, hammer perpetuum, mm -hmm. hammer uh, endurance, I think it was called, and then their um, enduralites. The enduralites. Uh, but... Man, I realized we were we were also taking another one. I, I can't remember what it was called. It was Enduro something. Enduro, whatever. Anyway, it was kind of like one of the hydrates you know, the, that we take now. But between taking three servings of that over two days, 10 goos, processed cliff bars, maybe a couple peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, a couple bananas, and then Perpetuum and plus the Enduralites, we were literally going toxic during races which is which is something i look back on i'm like i wonder if it was helping as much as i think it was or was right. it just like convenient packable yeah. nourishment it, it makes you i i've been really sensitive to that because now that i'm on a schedule of taking things and i've never been one to take goose i can't stomach goose i can't do cliff blocks i can't have that in my mouth i can't chew it, it just doesn't work so i have to have something like spring energy that kind of goes down easily um but I was so cognizant of this after the race that I was just like, what is happening in my body? I feel like I just need nothing but whole foods for like, just, just don't take any of the fake stuff in to my body. And I know we are surrounded in a community of people who are fat burners and don't need to feel that much. And again, I don't need to feel that much when I'm at a lower <laughs> distance, but I recognize that maybe I'll never get to that stage of achievement in my life and and so playing with nutrition and fuel in a 50k and a 50k like this was a perfectly safe environment for me to kind of see uh what works what doesn't and i figured that i figured out that some whole foods when i'm really tired and a later later in the race was actually okay i didn't puke i didn't have any gi distress i was fine and that gave me more of a boost than the other fuels the other fuels are fine and and the and the earlier miles to kind of keep me from bonking but my next stage is how do you start to recognize the early signs before you even bonk and be proactive about it so that that doesn't happen? Because God, I don't want my nutrition to take me out of a race. So, but, but I think that's when your stomach goes, that's when your stomach goes, because and I never you, you think mix, God had that happen. You mix heat and heat exhaustion yes. and over in redlining yes. on top of hitting the UL, the upper limits of vitamins or supplements. And, um, then your stomach goes, and it and it can be hours before it comes back. And you've seen me, oh, Travis. You haven't seen I, me. I've you haven't seen, seen him me at crash Ragnar when he's running an ultra at Ragnar, and just he keeps get a teammate drops, a teammate gets sick, 
Kevin is always the one who picks up the extra legs. I'm and, tough enough. And but sometimes if he's not prepared, he didn't necessarily have his nutrition prepared in advance, and so and he's in the heat and the elements, and he's out there. Sometimes I've seen him lose his stomach. Sometimes it's 30 miles or 32 miles or 35 miles or whatever. And traditionally, these Ragnars come at a time in my work schedule. Usually, the race is longer than I've even trained. So, like, I'll have, like, 22 miles of training leading up to a 32-mile race. So I don't approach things from a very healthy standpoint anyways. So at those races, I will juice up and synthetic just to survive. <laughs> but I pay, for it. I, I pay for it pretty badly, you know. But then there's other races, like my most recent one in Miami. I did everything as perfectly as possible. My nutrition was 100% consistent with my regular life. My rest was perfect. And uh, my mobility was not perfect because we had um, some shockingly short notice on start times, like 12 minutes, and then uh, miscalculations on handoffs for the relay. So I didn't have the mobility I needed, but I was able to adjust that during the runs. But even with everything going perfectly, we were still in the Florida sun, so I still got like adductor or hamstring cramping. But had I not done things correctly, it could have been totally different. And you can't take anything for granted. So I just said I've never lost my stomach. Well, technically, I haven't. Last year's Harper's Ferry half, though. Yeah, I've you run, lost it. I've run that. I've run that every year. So that was my first half marathon in 2014, and I've run it every year since. Or no, sorry, not 2014, 2016. It's not like it's been that many years that I've run it, but it's. I I love that race. And last year was. Um, Katie said it recently on on the episode of the podcast. We had good weather, so we we had people out in full force, tourists out in full force. Uh, for me, that good weather translated into high humidity and what you would look at as probably an outsider's view, ideal running conditions, like low 70s, high 60s, low 70s. And I ran so hard not taking into account that humidity and the heat, the what the heat would do to my body on top of running hills, and that you very easily what works on one day won't work on another. And I finished the race just fine, and then in about 30 minutes later, I fell apart and I was laying on gravel. And someone came over and they're like, "Is that woman okay?" And I was just like, "Just it just feels." Listen, really people, good I was watching her. She was okay. I, I was, was okay, I was nearby. But it felt really good to lay down in the shade. I was like, "Just nobody get up." And I got Didn't up. Didn't we get ice on you too? Not really. I, I was just laying there feeling like if I could just embrace and hug these rocks, they're amazing to me right now. <laughs> it was a weird feeling. And then, Kevin, you got me in the car, and I was like... Oh, that's right. I was like, Kevin, take me home. And I swear to God, I felt like I was blackout drunk. Something. So it went from good to bad so fast, and it was strictly the heat. It was just like I was blackout drunk. Kevin's driving me home. I had my feet up on the dashboard. I had my head back and the seat back. My eyes are closed. I don't know where the hell I'm at. I don't know where he is in the drive. He gets me home. He pulls into the driveway and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I'm gonna lose it. I crawl out of the door. I'm on my hands and knees outside of the door, puking in my driveway. Then I came upstairs and I, I went to the bath. I came inside the house, went up to the bathroom, puking just, absolutely worshiping the throne 
telling Kevin. It was her first time. I'm like, I, I'd never had heat exhaustion. And I was like, Kevin, I just, this is, this is the worst thing ever. Just make it stop. I'm an old pro at heat exhaustion. So much so that I know my limits now. But it, and... didn't, it didn't happen in a race. Look, I have had hypothermia and I've had hyperthermia. Oh yeah. So I've had, I've had the other side of it where I got delirious in my first Ragnar because I got cold and I didn't change. But this, this taught me so many lessons. You can't take anything for granted. Travis, have you ever lost your stomach? I was going to ask him that. No, I haven't. You've never I mean, had I've a situation. I've gotten nauseated, but I've never vomited. Or... You've I... never hit hit that point in like any of your JFK runs where you're like, let me just go off Dr. Mark. It's too away. cold. <laughs> no, you, you, you can't. You can't get weather the weather helps. Yeah, if it's that cold, you can't he- get heat exhaustion. That's why I was trying to commit to only winter races this year. Yeah, in my in my mind, but um, yeah, dude. So you never actually. I mean, that makes sense because I do a lot of the fall and winter races, just like last when Matters Lady started. We started having Matters Lady. That was my first summer race. How'd you feel out there for that? Um, hot. Did you get? Uh, no, I didn't. I mean, I didn't get vomit sick, but I did get nauseated. You were approaching. Miner's Lady was also a weird thing for me because Miner's Lady, even though it was in June or July, it we're in the woods. It never felt as hot as it really was to me. I I I don't even know how to explain that. You are out of your mind. No, year one was a blistering hot. Well, I also wear almost no clothes when I'm out there, and that helps. It's it, but we were. Who's that girl at the bottom of the hill with the all the props? Oh yeah, uh huh. Who's that? Becky. Yeah, Becky, Becky was McGraw. down there. I was so delirious on lap three, when I came through that crazy race, and um, I stopped to say hi to her because I was basically drunk, <laughs> and she like put these headband on me with these floppy ears, and then yes. she made me hold this ridiculous sign, and then then she started taking my picture, and I was like, okay. I'm being taken advantage of right now. <laughs> She's great. She is she is the ultimate cheerleader, by the way. We love her. But but we were out on that course yesterday, and this kind of leads into the last thing I wanted to talk about, which is race cancellations. We were out on the, the Miners Lady course yesterday. There was a trail training run, um, and it was just one loop, and it was the amended course. So the usual course is just over a 10K, and this amended course was about uh, just over five miles. Mm. And I forgot what a mofo that course was. We had not been out there for a while, and we were out there in pretty great temperatures yesterday. It was in the high 40s. It was nice. Really ideal running conditions, but we were out there, and I was like, oh, I'm tired. And Travis, you said it best. You were like, we've been spoiled these last couple of weeks. Yeah, Seneca Creek spoiled us. (laughs) It did. We went from every single week being out on the Appalachian Trail and just battling rocks and roots and all the hills to going to Seneca Creek where it's like, oh, this is a wonderful, lovely dirt trail. (laughs) We're home now. (laughs) Yeah, so we went out to do the Miners Lady training course uh, this week because we, um, number one, wanted to get out on that course and train it anyway. But a lot of races are being canceled because of COVID-19. And we anticipate that most of the races that we have, the mini races that we have scheduled uh, for the first part of the year are gonna be canceled. M-A-M-A. M-A-N-Y or M-I-N-I? Mini or many? Mini. So Small? Yeah, a lot of the races. I heard, I heard couldn't tell the difference. Between oh, no, that's okay. I got okay. so many or I have many. Right. So had, you talk about small races? I had a couple of 10-milers. I had a, a, a 10K. I had a, um, a half marathon. I don't think that a lot of those races are going to be held. So, for example, the ones that we know that have been canceled thus far are the Marine Corps Marathon uh, 17.75 
race, which was going to be held on March 28th. Marine Corps Marathon did a fantastic job. Everybody should follow suit in the way that they communicated. First of all, those of us who signed up for it did so partially because it gave us an entry into a guaranteed entry into the Marine Corps Marathon in, in October. So they, they had to cancel it because of COVID-19. They still honored our guaranteed um, entries. Uh, we had to sign up for it right away. So now I'm registered for Marine Corps Marathon, which is super exciting. It's gonna be my first Marine Corps Marathon. I've just done the 10K. Um, and and we decided that, that for March 28th, we're probably just gonna run it virtually. Another race that was canceled that I wasn't signed up for, but that is, is a race so near and dear to my heart is the New York City Half Marathon. And that was scheduled for this weekend. So they had a virtual option. It was completely free through Strava. So Travis and I decided to go out on the Miner's Lady course yesterday and use our miles toward that virtual half marathon. So we ran 13 miles on the Miner's Lady course, did the virtual half marathon. And, and I feel like for runners, the running community is being hit hard with all these race cancellations and all of us understand it and it makes sense. But I think that there are ways that we can all practice um, so social distancing while still kind of getting out there safely, safely to run. The other thing is- Hold on a second now. The, sometimes it's not the race organizer yeah. making the race cancel. It's it's the town, it's the city. The city, the city can, like they canceled Ragnar Southern California, which I was on for airfare and hotel and all that nonsense. And I was racing with a bunch of strangers out there and the initial blowback at Ragnar for how they handled it was pretty brutal on social media. But after doing more research, I've dug into this pretty hard. Southern California yanked um, all permits where a thousand people or more were gonna be somewhere. So even though you had a permit, they're like, no, I'm taking it back. Which, so in other words, California yanked the permits and that just made the race not happen. I'm wondering if that's what happened with Marine Corps and other races. I, I suspect that that is. So New York City, I mean, it's New York City. When I ran this race last year, we were packed like sardines into subway cars. The, the subway cars were packed so thick that I could not move any which way. I could just turn my head and look around. It was very awkward. It was that, it was that, uh, that packed. So imagine having 30,000, 20,000 rather, 20,000 runners coming out um, for an event and just just that logistical nightmare of transportation. In the corrals, we were packed like sardines as well. So I totally understand it, but that's more than likely the city thing. So the 17.75 of Marine Corps Marathon was canceled for March 28th. The uh, Cooper River Bridge Run that we were scheduled to do down in Char uh, Charleston, South Carolina for April 4th was canceled. That was actually rescheduled. Some races are rescheduling, but they rescheduled theirs to August 1st, which we can't do because we'll be in Ragnar Appalachians on that day. Um, the Cherry Blossom 10 Mile Run um, scheduled for um, April 5th was canceled because DC has canceled all of those mass events um, and, and they simply can't continue to have, have the race. So those are the immediate ones that have been canceled. I absolutely expect that more, more will be canceled, but wherever possible, we're probably gonna run virtual races and incorporate the mileage from those races into our regular long runs wherever we can. And where we can, if we can still get the medal, we'll still get that medal. And it's just kind of what we're doing to, to, uh, to, to make lemonade out of lemons this year and, and still kind of get out there. Well, again, being safe with our proximity to other people, 
Um, the good thing is, is that when we're up on the Appalachian Trail, we're primarily alone. I think that norovirus probably, probably is a worse threat to us than this, uh, knock on wood, but it's nice that we can get out and be completely isolated as a trail runner. There aren't a ton of people out who, uh, who enjoy running trail at 6 a.m. when it's cold. True. <laughs> Back to uh, Seneca Creek. How, uh, how are your results, Travis? I think I was at seven fifty. Seven fifty? Yeah. I, Did you win your age group? No. No. <laughs> no but I, I was happy with it. Yeah. I mean, previously it would have took me a whole time limit to What do you think it was gonna take? Um What were your genuine you're like, okay. I would have been oh, like, like, no, like, to I'm gonna go do it in eight hours, but I'd be I'm probably gonna do it in my um as I said before the race, I would be ecstatic to do it in seven and a half hours i will be happy to do it in eight hours that was my Good. and the time so, limit was nine i believe right nine, yes so what could you have done differently anything um, or was it a perfect race it was what i wanted to do i did, i mean i didn't race it it was more of a training thing to me i mean i could have went out harder I, at mile 15 i spent a lot of time at the aid station when i ate the grilled cheese sandwich to make sure i was going to be how much okay. time 10 minutes okay so at no point did it become a race? At no point did you be like, oh, I'm going to start tearing this course up? No. No, it was more just, let's get it done. Yeah, it was like, let's get this You were disciplined. Done. Yeah. But your pace yeah. per mile was yeah. right on target. No, at the beginning of the race, when everybody took off, I kind of I got called into and I looked down and was like, run, because you don't start on trail, it starts through a parking lot. Right. And we was like at an 830 pace. So I was like, we ain't doing this. Right. <laughs> and I just kind of got to the side where everybody could go go by how many runners 200 maybe. probably 200 did you get caught in any of the uh choke points i saw a picture of people like daintily trying to get across these rocks on a stream that i probably mm. would have run straight through yeah did you get caught in that nonsense um not too bad because about after 10 miles i mean it's like i would go a, spaced a out. long time without seeing anybody okay Jenny, how about you? How are your results? My results are really good, but I don't know what to compare them to because this is only my third 50K. And by third, I mean really my second because one of my 50Ks is a Ragnar. I ran a uh, six six seventeen, um, and that was an hour. What's your marathon PR? Oh, I, I don't really have one because you I've ran a marathon. Run though. one. Yeah, so what was the PR? It's like, it's it's like 445 because it was my first one and i was 445 okay conservative so this i did miners lady and every bit of the eight hours that they gave you to do because remember my leg went out you can't measure in. miners lady against any other times because that race is for very special people well i ran this <laughs> an hour and 40 minutes faster than that so i felt super proud i right. looked at my pace yes. per mile was about 11 30. my i had I, I, I would have loved to do better because I was on target to do it in six and or 540. I was in, on target to do it in 540 around mile 20 right before my hips started hurting. And I was feeling really good. And if you look at my early pace per miles, it's like, yeah, man, I was rocking and I felt good. And I was like, I own this trail. This is great. And then my hips started hurting and then I started walking and then I, was, I started praying and yeah, I got into that pain cave and I was disappointed, but I was still happy to finish in what I did. But yeah, I did. I felt like I did well. Yeah. Better than I expected. Did you win your age group? 
No, I came in sixth in my age group and 51st overall, I think. Which I'm really happy with. I would have gotten fifth in my age group had I passed that sucker in front of me. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you came in fifth. And she's just 40 years old and I'm 42. Okay. But anyway, so there's a bunch I, of fast 40-year-old ladies out there. Yeah. And, and so I also... What I, was the first place time for ladies in your um, age group? I think that it was around s just before six, I think. So within 20 minutes of you? Uh, I, I can't remember exactly, Kevin. So, but then, it wasn't... so more or less, it's only 45 seconds per mile faster for next year yeah, to and, win your age group. And, okay, I also went out treating this as a training run, although I went out way too fast. I know I can do better at this, and that's what made me excited because I was like, number one, I know that I can run a 50K again. It wasn't a fluke that I finished at the first, finished one the first time. Number two, now if I dial it in, let me see how good I can get at this. How I long were you so at the... The watering points. Oh my God, I the first aid station, the fifth. So, um, collectively, probably almost twenty minutes. I spent a lot of time, and I really so to some extent, do you that. the first place forty year old lady may have been right near you for part of that race, and then they got away from you because they may have been handling um, aid stations differently. I just wasn't thinking about it. I wanted to eat the food and I was enjoying visiting with the volunteers. And then when I started seeing people I knew were passing me that, that I knew were further back, they were at least a mile back in the pack. I was like, I guess I better get going now. And then I never, I know, I don't know. It was, the food have is you, so good. Have food you ever good. raced? Kevin, this was supposed to be a training run. I'm just asking. And I, I said I can't that remember. to every person yes. I talked to on course. They were like, what are you doing here? I was like, this is a training run. And I, I said, please help me stay disciplined because I don't know how to keep it in training phase. I could have done better, though. and But I could have also done better by slowing it down in the beginning so that I could have been stronger at the end. Have you ever raced, though? Have you ever gone to a 5K, 10K, half marathon and yes. raced? Yes. When? Uh, the Berkeley 5K this year. Yeah, okay. That anything, was fun. Anything else? Uh, yeah, when we talked about race for the birds. Did you know you were racing? <laughs> no. So no, so you weren't I, I racing. I was racing in the last 400 meters. Oh no, I'm just wondering. Like, I wonder when you're going to turn the corner and realize that you are a powerhouse and you can pick targets and go after them. I did. So I have I have highs and lows. I with 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 understanding what I can do yet. I think that I can probably play with it, and. I'll have more confidence in myself once I follow David's coaching plan because I'll know my mind will go, oh, well, it must be right. I must be running faster because I'm doing this. And then I have days like yesterday. So yesterday when we ran that 13 miles, I realized that we were in recovery week. Our recovery week did not call for 13 miles yesterday. And running that 13 miles, I knew that I was not recovered from the 50K. It, it hurt. Well, it's also the we, we, we ran a faster pace than we usually do on trail. We were in the 10s. I was just, just below 11 or so. I was at 11.50 for a whole 13. And, and if I can really go out on Miner's Lady, my, I, I, can, I can do a loop in Miner's Lady in, a, in a, just under an hour. Um, so it was, it was not as fast as I've done it in the past, but still it was faster than what we've been running. And I saw faster runners out there and I'm like, dang it. I thought I was doing well. It gets in my head, man. And so I need to get more confidence to get out there and go, no, you can run, you can hold your own. And if I don't hold my, if somebody's faster, fine. But it is kind of fun to figure it out. Okay. That's good.
Have we missed anything? I want to say one thing. I just want to make a comment about our local races because I, I anticipate that with COVID-19, we might have a lot of them canceled. I would urge if runners are listening to this to, to I know that some people are afraid of registering because you're afraid you're going to lose your registration cost. Please keep in mind that a lot of these local races um, provide a lot of those funds to charities. In fact, a good portion of those funds to charity. Race for the Birds is, is a great example of that. That's gonna be held on the 28th of March and so far they're not canceled. So if you would consider still register, still try to support these organizations, even if nothing else, it's for the charity aspect of it. And then if, you, if they end up being canceled, run a virtual, get a couple of friends together, practice safe social distancing, but get get a group of folks together and make it fun and just let this be your year. You know, in a way, this all these cancellations have freed up my schedule and freed up a lot of stress from me. And so it's not necessarily been a bad thing. And I'm, I'm happy to go out and still do the miles and say, hey, we're still out here as runners and, and we're, we're still staying healthy so that hopefully if we get sick, we fight this virus. But yeah. All right. Travis, do you have anything? You summed that up. Did I sum it up? <laughs> Good job on the 50K. High five. Let's see if we can get... I don't think we didn't capture that on the mic. Yep. There you go. There you go. That was a simulated high five. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, um, until next time. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for being on the Break It Down for Brackens podcast. Thank you. Today's intro song is called Mean in a Good Way. It's written and performed by Peter Clark off of his album, Peter Clark After Dark. Peter, <laughs> Peter describes this song as being the best song to learn hula hooping to. Peter is an avid hooper and recently started a hula hoop repair business. If you ever need hula hoop repair, consider contacting Peter. You can reach him on SoundCloud. Just search Peter Clark After Dark.